This is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Vocal Perspective. It's just me, Amanda, here this week for the interview, but we have Katie Dane here today. She is a music educator down in Texas, and she does all kinds of things a cappella. So hopefully, we have time to get to all of them today. I'm skeptical because we usually run out of time, but hi, Katie, how are you? Good morning. <laughs> so, we have to start this with our routine question of, you know, how did you get into a cappella and to music? Well, I started music first, I would say, all the way back in kindergarten, I started piano lessons. And then I did viola in fourth grade, and then I was pretty much in choir from second grade on. So music was definitely a part of my upbringing and had really supportive family around it. But then the acapella side, really, the first time I heard acapella quartet was at church at a jazz service, I should say. Because once a year, we would have jazz music, and there was this uh, barbershop quartet that would come in and sing some sort of hymn or gospel tune of some kind. So I heard it when I was younger, but I hadn't ever sung it or anything like that until I moved to Texas for graduate school. And it was one of those things where, you know, you kind of hear the ringing of chords off in the distance and you're like, what is that? As I'm like studying the Verdi Requiem, you know, it's just (laughs) the contrast was there. And so staying and working late at grad school, there was um, a chorus that rehearsed in our music building. And so they would afterglow in the parking garage and just stand around and sing tags and, you know, do other things after dark, you know? (laughs) So it's just like normal barbershop Barbershop crowd, right? Barbershop after dark. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like another time. <laughs> yeah, so I just kept hearing tags all around and I got pulled in because my friends were doing it, the friends that I had from choir. And it was Heart of Texas that was the chorus that was there. And then from that, read The Marksman. And the guy that I was friends with led our Sugar and Spice acapella girls group. And so we would do kind of a mix of, you know, contemporary acapella things and then some barbershop stuff and then some straight up acapella choral music. And it was just this little girls group of about 12 of us that I did first and second year of grad school. So that was really my first dive into doing anything like that that was in the genre. And then I just kind of was hooked from there. All right. So let's go into your day job now. Yeah. So my day job is I'm 15 and a half years into music education. I've taught everything from fourth through 12th grade. Orchestra, viola is my main instrument. And then choir, musical theater, music theory. Yeah. All kinds of, I've done Musical, the- yeah, musical theater in middle school, mixed choirs with contemporary acapella groups outside of that. Uh, so I've kind of been all over the map. Then you do all of these things outside of your day job. Let's start with your barbershop. You're directing two choruses now. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so post-grad school and, and directing a contemporary acapella group, I got into Sweet Adeline's first, and that was in 2011. And it was just kind of word of mouth of people who knew who I was and we're like, hey, have you ever done this before? And I like, so the thing with all the sequins, because I came from a dance background. So I was very much like I paid my dues in buns and blue eyeshadow. <laughs> and like, so been there, done that. And so when they did that lunch interview, I was like, I'm open to this as long as we stay away from sequins and like god awful eyeshadow. And the really <laughs> fake, like rosy cheeks. <laughs> yeah, rouge, yeah, the ruse, like we're not tin soldiers in the nutcracker right now. Like we <laughs> 
Yeah. So yeah, I just interviewed for them and it was just this small consortium of women that were looking to start a brand new chorus who didn't want to keep traveling like, cause it's Austin, San Antonio, Houston. It's about four to six hours, depending on which direction you go in central Texas. It looks very close on a map, but it's pretty far away. Texas is even so bigger than you commuting. think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they were all commuting to these different choruses and they wanted to start something in, in central Texas. And that's right where I was. So it was chartering a brand new chorus and they were very much about kind of thinking outside the box and it totally aligned with my philosophy as far as what I wanted to do and be as a director and especially an acapella because you know I hadn't done straight up barbershop before I'd really done contemporary acapella for like nine years before that and then you know choral things so I, I had a big learning curve in, in that regard but I had a great co-director and you know people who had been in the barbershop world for 25 years so they were very patient when I was conducting four patterns or trying to figure out how to do a ballad or something yeah the one thing that I learned the first thing I learned when I jumped into barbershop was like there are no time signatures time makes it doesn't exist the time signatures are rubato rules yes, the world it's yes. just a suggestion so, right, so you right. mentioned that they think a little bit outside of the box what kind of things did you see happening in your chorus well I guess the 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 glory of starting a new group is that you really can set up the parameters to whatever you want them to be. So I was surrounded by women who had kind of been around the block and they're like, we've seen this happen and this happen and this happen. And we want to find something kind of in the middle of that because, you know, it's just, it's kind of like being in a, I've never been in a sorority, but there's a reason I wasn't, <laughs> you know, there's, if you go down a certain road too long, it feels like there's no turning back and you're kind of stuck with, you know, how things are and, and then the culture, which impacts the performances and things like that. So they were very specific about costuming and, and makeup and repertoire that we were singing and just being, you know, on the front edge of it as far as don't do what's always been done just because it's been done that way. So that was, it was refreshing and it allowed us to kind of explore processes and, you know, the kinds of gigs we did and the contest music we sang. And we just kept, kept trying to be true to ourselves and through that developed a, a good culture. And, you know, we were a small chorus. We've never really been above 26 people. We've been as small as 20, but, you know, we've had everything from 14 year olds to 87 year olds and you know, have, have gotten a lot of attention from SAI because of that. And it, and we rehearse on a college campus. So there's just a lot of things that are kind of unique about, about us. And uh, we've been going, you know, nine, nine years now. And we just went to international last year and got second place in our division. So that was, <laughs> I remember <laughs> watching that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for some, you know, they would call us a young chorus, but you know, when you've gone through the the trenches of, you know, founding a chapter and, and building a chorus, no matter how big or small, like everybody's journey is different. So it, it didn't feel all that short to us. Right. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for the choruses that are welcoming to people as young as, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and up to, you know, 87, 90, 95, however, as long as you can be up on those risers. I think there's, you know, mm -hmm. you don't see that very often because, you know, usually you're in choir in school and everyone's within the same, you know, three, four year age range. And I've just seen, it's been so nice to see these choruses that have these little girls or little boys like right up in the front mm -hmm. and they're right. getting so much out of right. it. And it, 
you know, and it allows for sometimes two or three generations to all sing together, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Yes. We've had uh, sisters before and like an aunt and niece combination. And then I think one of the other big things too, is me being a music educator. I think it's like comforting or reassuring to other music educators because of the stigma that goes around barbershop music or the technique around barbershop. Because within our chorus, we've had as many as five music educators. So like almost a third of our chorus have been all music teachers. So it, it just brings a level of, I guess, background, you know, and then exposure to their own students as far as, you know, they see their teacher out doing what they're teaching you know if talking about performance technique or they're talking about memorizing music or how to practice you know something as basic as that they're out there doing it and they can actually see oh my teacher in a performance or on a youtube video or whatever (laughs) so now you also direct a men's chorus so tell us a little bit about that i do yeah so i lived in san antonio for about nine and a half years or so and i was a teacher working at two schools running three programs and you know doing musical direction and contemporary acapella group outside of that and acapella unlimited and so i just was like a little strung out a little burned out (laughs) no (laughs) so many plates it's just my usual and so i got a new job and i moved about an hour and a half north to this little suburb on the cusp of North Austin in Texas. And I found a job at one school teaching in one classroom (laughs) and having my own office. (laughs) And I never had to leave. And I had one administration. And if you're a music educator, you know how valuable that is. Instead of trying to please all the peoples. <laughs> yeah, like change in personality, change. Oh, wait, that's oh, the yeah. rule here. This is the rule here. Right. And everybody thinks they're following the same rules because they are in the same district. And then no. you're like, no, really, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been a breath of fresh air. So now I'm at a middle school teaching sixth through eighth grade orchestra and choir. And then I've taught, you know, like a musical theater class or comprehensive like music theory and performance class there. And it's just been great. It's been a really nice change. Texas schools are really crazy with the amount of competitions and schedules and performances. And just, it's such a large state that if you teach high school, like your all state audition process and your region process lasts about seven months (laughs) of the year. So it was, I mean, I had maybe one Saturday off in September, one Saturday in December, but I played, you know, we had a six day school, so they played six day football. So pretty much my schedule was just crazy. So being at a middle school, it's like, I could actually leave at 4.30 or 5. What's that? Still (laughs) Still light out. Yeah. Yeah. So that has left room for me to, you know, add more to my plate. So I said, sure, let's do this. So yeah, since 2017, I've been directing the Acapella Texas chapter, which is the Austin chapter that used to be the Chord Rangers. They're actually celebrating their 60th anniversary. So they've been around a long time. It's so, it's amazing to see some of these choruses that have been around since almost the beginning of the BHS organization. Yeah. Yeah. But I I really love it. It's a, they've got about 35 to 40 people in the group and, you know, it was a big, it was a big jump for a board of directors of men to say, yes, we're open to having a woman direct us. Like that says a lot about the people there. And so that was one of my big question marks when I went into the interview, as far as like, how does, how does this work? You know, because at the time I was only an associate member of VHS and (laughs) transition had not happened yet to, you know, a more inclusive membership. So it was just going to be a a new adventure, but it's been great. And it's allowed for some collaboration between both choruses and this group of guys in particular, 
color. They're they're open-minded when it comes to the repertoire and things. And, you know, they have a very good administration as far as everybody has different jobs and no one tries to take on too much. But, you know, it's, it's been a good experience and kind of interesting to see the BHS side of things and the SAI side of things simultaneously. Because I've been, you know, a director of each chorus for overlapping now three, almost four years. So what are some of the things, I mean, let's let's start first with, you know, your SAI chorus was starting mm -hmm. from scratch, essentially. And then you come into right. this chorus with 60 years of history. What was mm -hmm. that like coming in as a new director there? Well, it's interesting with that one because, you know, I very much could tell, like, what my start date was because as we would go through and we would you know people would say let's sing this song or let's sing this song we've always sung that song and i'm like i've been here two years and we've never sung it so i can tell you we don't always <laughs> sing it so you know anybody who had come in since i started directing you know there was a number of new members that we had join us after that and which is normal during a director transition people come and go you know but all the new people were like nope never sung that <laughs> you know like so it forced everybody to kind of reevaluate the repertoire. And so that's been one of our big things, especially with like the diversity and inclusion. Both choruses have really sifted through everything and really analyzed like, is this something that we want to keep in our active repertoire? Is this still where we are musically, where we all are philosophically, or are we ready to just kind of put it aside? So that's been kind of the long-term project that we've been working on in, in both groups. But I've really enjoyed just kind of learning some of the history. Being a chorus that is that old and part of the Southwestern District, the Southwestern District has a lot of history. Like there's a, a lot of successful quartets and choruses and maybe not so much recently other than vocal majority or clutch or something, but there there's just been a just a lot of stories of really impactful people like Mo Rector and things like that have just been around for a really long time and really kind of made a mark on the society. And I'm, you know, directing people who sang in a chorus with him or sang in a quartet with him. So there's just kind of a lot of things where you come into it and you're like, okay, this whole world existed before. And so they can kind of shine some light on, you know, what's changed and what's different. But, you know, there's the good and bad of that. It's like if you have a course that's been around for a long time, you know, the admin can tend to recycle sometimes <laughs> and the same people stay on the board. And so it's hard to get fresh blood in there as far as like we're, you know, Austin's a pretty transient community and, you know, we've had a lot of growth the last couple of years. You think the live music capital of the world would be, you know, flush with singers, but there's so many fine arts organizations that it's hard to like make your mark and find your stamp and, and find people that aren't already in their little niche group. And you know that from DC is like that too. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of overlap. It's really funny when you when you see Facebook friends and you're like, oh, like I know this person. How do you know that person? Oh, you know, singing, of course, singing in some other organization. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like you mentioned, there's been a big push for diversity and inclusion in all of the barbershop organizations over the last several years. How are you seeing that played out differently between BHS and SAI? I would say that BHS is just, whether it's, I don't know if it's the people that are involved or the quantity of people involved. I think that they have been very smart about bringing in people from the corporate world that have already been doing this for a while and then bringing them into a fine arts organization or nonprofit music group. I just don't see that with SAI or hadn't until they had the DNI task force. And it feels like, you know, because I'm in both organizations, I can see that they both have 
very similar goals, but they want to go about them like the diff a different way. And so I'm seeing much more progress faster with BHS than I am with SAI, but SAI is also very strategic about the steps they take to make sure that they're like covering everything they need to. So the fact that there's even a database now where you can like submit songs and there's like a checklist of questions to go through, that's really thorough and it's giving people a clear cut answer as far as like, okay, what should we keep? What should we not keep? What's the historical background and context of this song where we're still many moons behind that in BHS because there's still people like, oh, let's sing Darkness on the Delta. What's wrong <laughs> no, with that? You know, I, I mean, mean, I, I had to just, take a few versions of that off of the playlist for Akaville, And I know there were some people that were really upset mm -hmm. about that. I'm like, it's just, you know, it's not, you can go back and study it and, and learn from it. And, but it's just not appropriate to play on the air now or really ever, but now we need to make that correction. Yeah. And it's just educating yourself. You know, it's not that the song is going to go away. It just doesn't need to be in someone's regular playlist. So yeah, that, that database has been super helpful for me too. And, you know, even outside of barbershop to think about, you know, is this a song that you know, I might love this song, but is it really appropriate to keep singing it? But from there, let's change gears a little bit and talk about mm -hmm. Sing Texas yeah. because you play a pretty big role in yeah. that festival. Yeah. So Sing Texas, I mean, I was directing that mixed company, the high school acapella group. It was like a composite group between the two high schools where I was teaching. And so I was just looking for, you know, performance opportunities and I really only knew about varsity vocals. And so the great, wonderful Matt Woodward, who we both <laughs> know and love, he's been a huge advocate and ambassador for all the educators here in Texas that are in the acapella world. So he, I think he was hosting one of the festivals and you came down yeah, to San Antonio. Precursor to Sing Texas, which was the acapella. Yes. What did we call it? Was it the Staccato oh, Festival the, or we, we something? Kept the talk, uh, we kept wanting to call it Taco. Taco. <laughs> Texas acapella. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that eventually, be, it was run by Casa and then that eventually broke off and, and became Sing Texas. So that was yes, fun. That yes. was my first trip to Texas as an adult, I think. And that was um, ah. outside of like a couple like work trips to Dallas where I only saw the inside of convention halls. So Matt was very, very keen on making sure I had tacos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yes, that's so great. That's great. And San Antonio does it better than Austin, I will say, having been in yes, both places. Yes. Breakfast tacos are definitely better <laughs> in San Antonio. So yeah, anyhow, so that was like the start of it. And I just, I went because I had kids who wanted to sing. And then also AU was getting ready for regional competition. And I was like, basically enlightening them. Like there's this amazing group called Delilah. And if we go, we could work with them and we have to do this. And like, who's this? What are we doing? And I'm like, just come do the masterclass and we'll show them what we do. And then it'll all work out. <laughs> oh yeah. So that was kind of my introduction. And then the next year they did the festival in Austin where they brought in like straight no chaser and they did kind of a, a hybrid kind of group with Sing Texas and Sing Toronto. So they brought in, you know, like Dylan and Suba and a couple other people that were doing, I think they were like leading classes and coaching some groups and it was a full on, you know, two day event. So I brought 75 kids to that and I had like the most, I think there were maybe 125 or 150 that came to the event <laughs> and I brought 75 of them. And so John was like, can we talk after this? I'd like to get some input from you on how we can broaden our <laughs> awareness to the educators. And so from then on, I basically was like on the board as an education coordinator consultant kind of person and then the next year I became president so that's what happened <laughs> that's <laughs> that was like circa 2017 yeah. and 
We've done three festivals since then and probably had over a thousand people attending our events. Yeah, so it's become total. pretty incredible. And I'm, I'm I'm grateful that it happened at that little pocket of time where you're like, I can do more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. So tell us a little bit more about yeah, what, um, what Sing Texas has become. Yeah, so it's interesting because we, you know, we're nonprofit vocal <laughs> arts group. It's basically, you know, about education, promotion of, of all kinds of acapella. And we are like a sister organization to Sing Toronto. So like the logistics of the 501c3 kind of go through that. But, you know, we're, we're in Texas, primarily focused on, on Texas. And, and really the, the goal has been to help develop acapella music in Texas, but it wasn't intended to be only focused on contemporary. And so for every event that we host or workshop we've hosted, we're, we're trying to like, you know, have barbershop available, have gospel available, have, you know, vocal jazz available. So there's either a group that's coming to perform in one of those styles, or there's some, you know, clinician who could teach a concept or introduce something because just given the choral culture in Texas, people are more geared towards and more interested in vocal jazz and contemporary acapella just because of, you know, the popularity of pentatonics and, and things like that happening. So it's more on people's radar, but it's such an accessible art form and it really does play in well to like the curriculum and the choral standards and stuff that we have in our state that more and more people are becoming interested. And we've had one of the largest growing uh, regions for varsity vocals. So there's more people interested in competition and, you know, Texas is driven by competition. <laughs> so it really hand yeah, in hand. <laughs> you were making me think, you know, when Texas really does have its moment in contemporary acapella, the rest of the world should probably watch out because, you know, you guys have some of the biggest vocal competitions and it's one of the hardest states to get into all state choir and things things like that. So to imagine Absolutely. what's going, I mean, I've seen the growth over the last, you know, five to 10 years, but to imagine that you're not even at your full potential yet is, is exciting and a mm -hmm. little bit scary to see what is going to come out of Texas soon. Yeah. Well, it, it's going so fast. What we were doing in our first festival was like, okay, this is, this is beatboxing 101. And this is like, how do you know what syllables to sing instead of what they write in your standard acapella arrangement or having arrangers round tables to kind of help ignite what teachers could think that they could do or the students could do and college groups, you know, it, it's just hard to reach them. Like there's just a lot of things that, that come into play. And so like that first year, what we were offering is totally different than what we've offered, you know, in 2018, 2019, just because the learning curve is so much bigger and, you know, people have technology and access to microphones and sound recording equipment and they're getting bonds passed at their school or budget passed where they can afford to buy some of this equipment. And it's, not uncommon for some of those groups in Dallas to have a full 19 set like wireless microphone system that they can use in their classroom. I'm like it's kind of where things are and then now people are getting into video making and you know virtual stuff of course on top of that but it's just kind of a new era as far as w what things used to be you know in the early 2010s to versus yeah, I'm excited for Friday Night Lights to have a more music meaning rather than football meaning. <laughs> I grew up in Pennsylvania, so we always felt like we were second. Football is a big deal there, too, in high school. So we were like, well, we're not the first Texases, but if you want a little bit yeah. of that flavor, come to Pennsylvania. So, I mean, all of this <laughs> stuff has to have been affected by COVID. And how is that going mm -hmm. with your choruses and school and all of that? 
Well, interesting, like with the BHS side, so as the director of Acapella Texas, I'm also on the board of directors for the Southwestern District. And so the Southwestern District, it's got, I think, four states represented or five states, and we would only meet once a year and it would only be at competition. And so if you didn't compete, you didn't really get to meet or work or collaborate with any of the other delegates or directors or anything. But because of COVID and Zoom, now we had a meeting where we could actually converse and talk and see all these directors and president, like chapters of, of their president chapters at this meeting. And we could kind of, I don't know, work together and figure out like how we're going to get through what's going on and what the status of membership is and their choruses. And it's actually been able to bring us closer together as an opportunity to be on an online platform. Whereas before you didn't even know these people right. existed because you never saw they came to compete. Well, that's promising to hear that you've actually used this time to build something new rather than we see so mm -hmm. many choruses, my own included, where we just kind of tried to replicate the experience online as to what we used to have in per person. And that didn't last long. That was like, it was a morale just death of morale in the chorus. Yeah, yeah, defeating it, for sure. Yeah, every group that I'm in is using Zoom. So between like SWD board, we're using it, Acapella Unlimited, Acapella Texas, all of my like management team, board of directors meetings, music team meetings, everything has moved to Zoom. And so, you know, where we were driving and commuting to basically give up an entire Sunday afternoon, no longer doesn't happen. We can just jump on Zoom, we're done in one or two hours at the most, and everybody can stay at home. I'm going to be a little <laughs> sad to give up, like, my home loungewear. It's called athleisure, at Amanda. Leisure, it's all right. I do at least try to get out of my pajamas <laughs> most days, so win, win column. So, but also, you there know, Sing Texas usually happens in the fall, so clearly that didn't happen this year. What are plans moving forward? Yeah, we, we kind of partnered with Sing Toronto because they were able to take what they normally do in May, they bumped it to October, November. So we tacked on with them, and and they had about five days of content and Sing Texas was part of three days of it. So we still had some feature workshops. Mel Danicky, Will Chandler, myself, we all did workshops there. So it was it was nice to be able to collaborate because I mean they've just got so much more history and resources than we do. And you know, their festival is huge compared to ours. And it's a little bit different of a focus because of who they have involved. Like ours is a little bit more toward school age and collegiate age. We don't have as many in the like non-professional group as far as post-college and that kind of thing. And that's just because it's not as common as it is up in Toronto. There's so many groups up in the Ontario area. Right. So I feel like that's the next frontier for Texas. Bring us more adult contemporary groups, especially because mm -hmm. barbershop is, you know, decently big there, but bring us more adult contemporary groups from Texas. Yeah. And I think we'll see that, you know, in the next five years or so, because some of those, you know, ICCA groups that have now graduated, like there was a, a little group up in Dallas that was kind of a cluster of some of those people, but then one of them moved to Nashville, you know, it's just like stuff like that will just happen because you're in your twenties. <laughs> it is hard. Well, Katie, we are just about out of time, but it's been lovely to catch up with you since I didn't get to see you at all Absolutely. of my, you know, usual haunts. And But we look forward to having all of this come back in earnest and hopefully people will check out more, especially if you're down in Texas or the surrounding states. Sing Texas is very easy to get to and I've always enjoyed coming down to to be there too so hopefully we'll see you soon absolutely thank you amanda see you next tuesday see you next tuesday